0: Thank you, Todd. Appreciate that. Good reminder. Good reminder. hear that a lot at funerals, don't you? That's one of those popular ones. I appreciate you sharing that this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're continuing our series through the book of Mark. And we're going to continue to uh, study it verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, to understand what God is trying to speak to us through his word and challenge our hearts today. Well, it's good to see you, and glad you're here. If you are visiting, we're glad to have you here at Triad Baptist Church. I'd love the opportunity to meet you, uh, and I'll be over here to my left after the service, and you can stop by, and we can greet uh, then. Mark chapter 4 is a very familiar portion of Scripture as we work through the book of Mark, but I was looking this week and asking God to speak to my heart in this Jesus stilling the storm. Let's stand together now. I'm going to read verses 35 to 41 in Mark 4. It says, In the same day when evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, And the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You may be seated. <clears throat> I've entitled this message today, Stormproofing Your Heart. Stormproofing Your Heart. When Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida just a few weeks ago in the southwestern coast. It inundated and devastated the outer coastal towns, Fort Myers, Cape Coral, Naples, Sanibel, and beyond. And it cut through the state with massive flooding and damage. 2.5 million uh, persons were without power. The governor of Florida called it a 500-year flood event. I thought of that uh, time, my sister lives down there and my niece lives down there in Tampa. They were expected to get the worst, but they just lost power is all they faced on that. And I think about that event and I think about the risks of living in the state of Florida, and one of them is, in fact, hurricanes. I know it's possible for us to have those, but not to the level that they have them. And as we think about that today, maybe right now you're bracing yourself for your next storm, or maybe you are in a storm right now. And we often ask the questions when we get in those storms, why me or why now? Where are you, Lord? Will I survive? With all of our concerns today, we're worried at a deeper level than just nature. We see the uncertainty in the economy, we see inflation, we see shrinkflation, we see rising costs from food and gas to health to whatever. But it's comforting to know we have a God who specializes in settling, unsettling situations. And I would love for you to hold on to this today when I share with you this passage of Scripture. I just try to keep it very simple. I want to talk about some truth anchors in your life that you need, and if you get these truth anchors in your life, you can face any storm that you go through in your life anything that you're concerned about, anything that you have before you. Now, this storm that these disciples were facing was their first test in the book of Mark. That's important to note because they'd faced all kinds of things with Jesus, but this is the first test they had to go through. And the first test they had to go through, they should have been able to handle with these because they were seasoned sailors. But this was no normal storm, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. This is no normal storm that they faced as seasoned sailors. And the second thing that was unusual about this storm is this is the first time they had Jesus with them in the boat. And those two factors are factors that I want to focus on in this passage of Scripture. So if you're in a storm today, I want you to anchor to these four truths in God's Word. All right? So I've outlined it, four truth anchors to steady you in your storm. Four truth anchors to steady you in your storm. <clears throat> you know, I preached this passage probably 15 times. And this week when I came to the passage, I said, Lord, speak to my heart afresh. Speak to me anew about this. Because I know a lot of things, I could just go back to some old messages. I actually looked them up to see what I had said, to see if it was any good. And uh, went back through that. But I thought to myself, God, you know, speak to me afresh in the word of God heard the story. They've all heard the story. So this has helped me so much in my storms. And I love this passage of scripture because it's just so practical and and straightforward to your need. Okay, let's go to it. The truth anchors. The first one, I am anchored to his promise. I am anchored to his promise. Verse 35 says, they got in the boat. Evening was come and he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. They sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there he was with them and other little ships. Now Jesus had just finished speaking a series of sermons and lessons to the disciples and to all those that gathered around him. He's preaching right off the shoreline in a boat because the crowd mobs him if he gets on land, and so he wants to stay a little away from the crowd to keep himself from being pressed or crushed and ending his life, if you will. And so he says, after he finishes this sermon, uh, let us pass over to the other side. That statement is so rich. I just want to explain part of it right now, and then I'll come back to more of it later. That statement, let us pass over to the other side, is a rich, rich statement. It's a statement that is a promise. It's a promise, okay? Now, they don't know. They don't know a great storm is waiting for them. All they're thinking is, okay, let's go over to the other side. Let's pass over to the other side of Galilee and we'll end up in the Gentile region leaving the Jewish region. That's basically all they thought to themselves. Let's go to the other side. But Jesus is giving the promise before the test. That's why you want to know the word of God because you want to know the promises before you get into the test. Here's his promise. Let us go pass over to the other side. So, Jesus is taking them into their first test as disciples. Now, what have they learned so far in the book of Mark? There's lots of things they've learned, but in the book of Mark specifically, what they have learned to this point is Jesus' power. He has it over demons, and he has it over all chaos. What else have they learned? They learned his authority over against the religious leaders. They see his endless concern for people and the plight of human suffering and the healings that he has done for them, for the sick. They heard his sermons on faith. They heard his sermons on trust. They heard his sermons on mustard seeds, just like all of you have heard here over the last several weeks if you've been with our study. But now the question is, Will they remember all of this in time of a crisis? Will they remember all of this in a time of crisis, in a time of storm? Well, we all know the answer. No, they forgot every bit of it. Just like many of you, like me sometimes. I forget everything Jesus has told me, everything he's taught me, everything I've learned about him. And when I get in that storm, somehow I forget it all. They forgot every bit of this in their life and they became fearful, which is the sign of no faith. Anytime you're fearful, it's a sign you have no faith. God is teaching them about what a true disciple will do. What a true disciple of Jesus Christ will do is they will remember God's power in testing with faith. They will remember God's power in testing with faith, and the result will be no fear, no fear. He says, let us go to the other side. He did not say, let us go out to the middle and sink. But that's what they thought was going to happen. He said, let us go over. He didn't say, let us go under. Sometimes we can't really connect to the promises of Jesus, but they're very clear to us. And if this is one you would just get in your heart, I wish you would because it will help you later in the epistles, let us go to the other side. Of all the dangers and uncertainties you will face, the Lord promises you he will get you to the other side. Now hear that in your heart. Hear that in your heart. You may go through stuff, but you will get there. You may be betrayed in this life, but you will get there. You may even be delayed by your storm, but you will get there. You will get there. The principle, here it is, really big and bold and straight to you. Jesus did not promise smooth sailing, but he did promise a safe landing. That's your life. That's your life. Now, let me just say this, okay, because some of you are going to be kind of like this. If you don't want to follow your Lord's command and go to the other side as a disciple, you can, out of fear, say, I'm not going anywhere. You can do that. It's easy. Just dock your boat, okay? Just dock your boat. Don't risk anything for God. Don't risk anything for God. You won't have any thunder, no lightning, no waves, no wind. Just just stay safe, play it safe, play it safe, just just let life kind of pass you by, just play it safe, you can do that, you can do that, everybody can do that if you want to do that, but the minute you roll up your earthly anger and you pull up your earthly anchor and you anchor to this promise that he will bring you to the other side, I'm telling this, you know what you'll say? For God I'll live and for God I'll die. For God I'll live and for God I'll die. Everything will break loose in your life at that point. But Jesus said, I'll get you the other side. I will get you there. Why? Because I'm anchored to his promise. I'm anchored to his promise. Hold on to that one, okay? All right, let's go to number two. Number two. I'm anchored to his providence. I'm anchored to his providence. Verse 37. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. This storm is not incidental. This storm is providential. It's important you understand that. It's not incidental. It is providential. He was taking them into a storm. He had a plan, and and sometimes you just got to trust him for whatever happens in your life. And you got to say, this isn't incidental. This is providential. Now hear this, okay, because I'm going to develop this a little. God was behind all of it, but he was not the source of it. That's that's an amazing truth throughout the scriptures. God was behind all of it, but he was not the source of it. J.I. Packer says there are two kinds of storms in our life. There are correcting storms and there are perfecting storms. I like that. That's simple enough to remember. There are correcting storms in your life and perfecting storms. The correcting storms, Jonah ran from the will of God for his life. God chased him and disciplined him and prepared a fish to swallow him. A great fish, no less, swallowed Jonah to get him back on track in his life. Sometimes God has to do that with you. He has to correct you. He has to discipline you. He will chastise you. You know why he'll chastise you? Because you're his kid. And if you're his kid and he loves you, he'll do it. But if he doesn't love you and you're not his kid, you'll get away with a lot of things for a long, long time. But if you're God's, he will correct you, all right? And then the perfecting storms, this is is beautiful too. The disciples were not out of the will of God, they were in the perfect will of God in their storm. They were in the perfect will of God. God still loved them even in their darkest hour, even in their darkest hour. Okay, you got that down? I think you got that down. All right, let me just go on here now. I want to build this into the story here, okay? Well, if God's not the source of it, who is? You ready? Simple answer. Satan. Satan. Now, I was telling my wife this at supper one night, and I said, I want to tell you about this. Satan's behind this storm. Well, she said, you're going to have to prove that to me. And she said, You're going to have to prove it to everybody on Sunday if you're going to get them to believe you. How do you know Satan's behind this storm? Well, let me just show you for a minute, okay? Now follow this. Watch how Mark builds his book. This is incredible to think about, but this narrative is put in the form of an exorcism. This narrative is put in the form of an exorcism. Now that's an amazing statement right there. If you take the first exorcism in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus cast out the demon in the temple, you find that Jesus has a pattern with all exorcisms. And in the storm, he uses the same pattern. The pattern of an exorcism. I'm going to show it to you right now. Okay, I'll put it on the screen for you. If you take Mark chapter 1, verses 20, you write this down, study it on your own, 23 to 27, and you compare it to Mark 4, 35 to 41, you'll find they have parallels in an exorcism. Ready? Chapter 4, verse 38, the disciples ask about perishing. Do you care that we're going to perish? In chapter 1, verse 22, the unclean demon asks about perishing. Are you going to destroy us? In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus rebukes the wind and says, Peace, be still. In chapter 1, verse 25, Jesus rebukes the demon and says, Be quiet. In Mark 4, 39, the wind ceases and calms greatly. In one twenty-six, the demon cries loudly and immediately leaves. In 4.41, the disciples are fearfully awed by what Jesus just did. In chapter 1, verse 27, the crowd is amazed and awed. In chapter 4, verse 41, the disciples say, Who is this that the winds and seas obey? In chapter 1, verse 27, the crowd said, Who is this that the demons obey? Man, you don't want to miss that. I'm teaching you that because I want you to see how Mark develops this. This is incredible. Mark equates the storm with an exorcism because Satan is behind it. Now, I want you to get this, okay? This is not just any kind of storm. This is a satanic, demonic storm. I know that's hard to figure out, but I'm I'm showing it to you. I'm developing this, okay? Uh, Mark equates the storm with an exorcism because Satan is behind it. The tempestuous sea is like an unruly demon. The tempestuous sea is like an unruly demon. You see the word there in verse 37, a great storm? You just say, that must just be one of those Hurricane Ian storms. It's worse than a Hurricane Ian storm. Let me just take a minute here to describe. There are six different Greek words in the Bible for the word great. There are six different words for the word great. We just translate it in English, great, 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 great. And it gets overused in our language But in their language, they had six different ways to say great. This is the Greek word. Hear it now, okay? Listen to it. Megala. Megala. That may not have meant much to you there when you say it, but let me just say it this way, okay? This kind of word paleontologists use to describe the biggest creatures that walked on the face of the earth, the dinosaurs. This is one of the paleontologists' favorite words. Megala. Okay, let me just describe one for you. The Megalodon shark. The Megalodon shark. That's where they get that word from, from this word great. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. They took the teeth of a Megalodon shark and they compared it to a great white shark and they were able to, by extrapolation, determine the size of the great white to the Megalodon shark. And here are the teeth of a megalodon recreated, and there's a great white shark 29 feet long in comparison. Just look at that for a minute, okay? Just, I, you say, Are you teach us about megalodon sharks? Yes, I am, but I'm really teaching about something more important than megalodon sharks, okay? But, but it's fascinating to think about. Now, think about one of the greatest dinosaurs you know, T. rex. Put a T. rex up to a megalodon. That's the size of a T. rex. a megalodon you didn't know you're gonna learn so much on dinosaurs did you today this wonderful okay so you put a t-rex up to a megalodon okay now let's put a great white shark 29 footer that's the biggest we know of up to a megalodon shark and this is a picture of what that would look like in comparison the megalodon shark by its teeth structure size are is 50 times larger than a great white shark So what is, what is he saying here by using this word? This is an unusual word. It, it's saying it was a megastorm. It was not a normal storm. It was megawaves. They were high, they were loud, they were large, and they were mighty. It is not a normal storm. It is the devil's storm. That's what he's trying to say here. It is the devil's storm. Now you've got to think this through, Okay. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, I am the mighty warrior and I'm going to lead you right into the storm because we're going to the other side and the other side represents the enemy's territory. And we're going into that territory and yes, we're going to face some megala problems, megala stuff. We're going to face some megala demons. But the truth is, these disciples knew this. No Jew liked to go to the other side. If you go to the other side, you got the Gentiles. They're unclean. you got demons that they've never faced before. We don't like to go over there. It's kind of scary to us. We're just going to stay over on our side. But Jesus said, no, we're going to the other side. And they knew what that meant. They knew that meant trouble from the word go. Look, we're in the middle of a storm. We told you we we shouldn't even be going to the other side. So they almost capsize in a boat and are drowned. And then when they get to the other side, they come and they meet a demoniac in chapter 4 or 5. This is no normal demoniac. Compare him to the demon they met in Galilee, and that Galilee had one demon. This one has legions. See, they're in Jesus, or they're in Satan's territory now, and they got legions of demons. And those demons went into 2,000 hogs. You got at least 2,000 in a legion going into 2,000 hogs and possessing them. Okay, now, we're going to get to that story later, but I just want you to see the demonic atmosphere of legions of demons. This guy's got 2,000 demons in him. How do you get 2,000 demons in a person? See, I don't even know how you can do that. And not only that, but he's living among the dead. He's living in the tombstones. And then they face the woman with the hemorrhaging blood for over a decade. She's like the living dead. And then they face the ruler's synagogue whose little girl has just died. Now you got somebody who really died. And Jesus says, that's where we're going. Come on, disciples. We're not going to sit over here in our nice little corner at our nice little dock. We're going into the gates of hell. We are going into demonic opposition. We're going against everything that's against me. We're not on the defense. Christians are not to be on the defense. We're on the offense. We're on the offense going against the enemy. We're going to have to face demonic seas, demonic legions. We're going to face the living dead. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring back the dead. We're going to bring back the dead. But how can you bring back the dead... If you won't go where the dead are. That's his whole point. We're going into enemy territory and we are going to bring back the dead. Let's go, disciples. Come with me. Not against the opposition. We're going to go toward the opposition. We're going to go into where sin is. We're going to go into where wicked people live. And we're going to invade their world and invade their culture. We're going to deliver them in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to deliver them from the power of sin that has wrecked their life, has torn them apart. We're going to go where the abortions are. We're going to go where the transgender are. We're not going to sit here and just be in our nice little church on a nice little corner. We've got to invade... This community. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. We got to go toward the people that are bound by sin, and we're going to set them free. How are we going to do it? Simple. Throw out the seed. We're just going to throw out the seed. That's it. We're just going to throw out the seed, which we've already talked about. I can't preach about that again, but that is the point. I'm anchored to his providence. When I enter into those areas, you are in the perfect providence of God in your life when you go into those places. And sometimes you wish you never had to be in and sometimes you hate your job because of it. But that's exactly where God's got you, going into the opposition, going into it. That's, it's beautiful to think about. Okay, let's go on. I'll run out of time here. I am anchored to his presence. I am anchored to his presence. Number three, verse 38, it says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep On a pillow, that's beautiful, isn't it? And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, or teacher. Now why is that important? Let me just throw this in, I'll preach this later, okay? Master. They should have said Lord, they should have said Messiah, but they don't, they just call him a teacher. They won't call him the Son of God yet. Isn't that amazing? Master, teacher, care you not that we perish? Now let's just stop and focus on this verse. Anybody can have a fair-weather faith. Anybody can have a fair-weather faith. I mean, Peter loses it. He loses it. He's the leader of the crowd there. He's the true leader, and he loses it in a storm. He loses his posture as a leader when the storm hits him. He panics. He goes up under a mega storm, and he just doesn't know what to do. And when Peter and the disciples lose their faith, they let fear dominate. That's what will happen to you when you lose your faith. You will let fear dominate. You will attack anybody around you. You'll say anything. You'll say things you wish you never said to people because fear has dominated your heart. And that's what they did. They let fear dominate their heart. And when fear dominated their heart, the first thing they questioned is God's love. Do you not care that we perish? See, fear gripped them and the first thing they could think is, you don't care. You don't love me. It's because fear has dominated their heart. Not faith, fear. And they attack Jesus and say, don't you care about us? What are you doing asleep?" sleep? It's a critical statement that they're making there. It's incredible to think about this. I Jesus, I know you care about me when the sun is shining. shining. But do you love me when it's raining and the wind and the waves? Do you love me in the storm? Do you love me in my darkest hour? Do you love me in the surgery? Do you love me in the divorce? Do you love me in the unemployment line? Do you love me when the company downsizes? Do you love me when COVID takes my loved one? Do you love me when COVID puts me in the hospital? Carest thou not that we perish? What is it? What is it about storms that make you question his love for you? What is it about that storm that you really wonder, do you really love me? What is it that makes you drop your guard? What is it that makes you pull away? What is it that makes you give up? Because you don't think he cares. How have you left me like this? Can you hear the resentful grumbling? How can you lay there and sleep at a time like this? You just hear him grumbling to Jesus. How can you lay there and sleep like this? Let me just throw this out to you, okay? Uh, I don't know. i got to be careful of my time here. But when a God sleeps in the ancient Near East, when a God sleeps, not just Jesus, but when any God sleeps in the ancient Near East, it was a symbol of divine rule. They would have known this. You didn't know this. Rest is the prerogative of deity. He is present and he is demonstrating his control over his surroundings by sleeping. That's amazing to me. He demonstrates his control over his surroundings by sleeping. That's why he's asleep, so you get that, okay? The irony is the seasoned fishermen are panicked and Jesus the carpenter is calm and asleep. I'm not worried I got this I got this that's the greatest sign that you're not worried you're asleep you're asleep the disciples interpret it as indifference but Jesus has shown his whole life I've never been indifferent to one person in my whole life I've healed them I've cared for them I've reached out to them and there's not one time in my life I've been indifferent to anybody, ever. But in fear, they attack him in distrust. But I want you to get the point here, okay, underneath it all, that sleep demonstrates the powerful and sovereign presence of Christ in your life. Sleep demonstrates the powerful and sovereign presence of Christ in your life. Okay. Are you getting these? Okay, are you getting these in your heart? Get them in your mind. Get them deep down there. Storm-proof yourself for these, okay? All right, so that that you never lose these. I'm, I'm anchored to his promise. I'm anchored to his providence. I'm anchored to his presence. And number four, I'm anchored to his peace. I'm anchored to his peace. See how simple this sermon was? This one, just like, it's just so simple. Just so simple. I love it when it's so simple. Verse 39, and he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, a (laughs) megalacalm. You got a megalastorm, you got a megalacalm. Only Jesus can give that to you. Only Jesus can give you a megalacalm. Okay, so... Verse 40, and he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. They were awed, in a sense, as the word. They're playing off that word. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'm anchored to his peace. They woke him because the one in charge is sleeping. Can't you just hear him breathing heavy? Jesus, what are you doing? They just go and they shake him. Sometimes we get upset with God because he's not reacting frantically like we are. Like, you ought to be frantic about this. When you're trying to get God to join into your hysteria, let me tell you something. Many people look around, Lord. Don't you see what's going on? Can't you see this, Lord? You're trying to get him to come into your hysteria. And the truth of the matter is, do you want Jesus to start popping pills with you? He doesn't do that. You pop pills, he don't pop pills. Has that ever occurred to you? Jesus never pops pills, he's not going to do that. He's just not that's not who he is, that's not who he wants you to be. Now, Now, keep popping your pills if you need them, okay? But I'm telling you, he doesn't pop pills. He doesn't get worried. Why? He's not frantic. And why is he not frantic? Because he's the Prince of Peace. He's trying to give that to you. He's trying to give that to you. The Prince of Peace doesn't need anything around him to be working right in order to take control of your situation. Wow. That's, That's worth writing down. The Prince of Peace doesn't need anything around him to be working right in order to take control of your situation. He rises to the bow of the ship and he says, Peace to what Peter and the disciples could not calm down. He says, Be still to what Peter could not solve. Now let me just play off of this for a little while here because I i got the time to do it. It's not what Jesus spoke that matters the most. It's where he spoke from. This is what I want to get in your heart, okay? It's not what Jesus spoke that matters the most. It's where he spoke from. See, What do you mean? I mean this. You can't speak outwardly if you have inward turmoil. You can't speak outwardly if you have inward turmoil. But as long as you've got peace on the inside, all chaos can break loose in your life. All chaos can break loose in your life on the outside. As long as you've got the peace on the inside. Okay? As long as you got the peace in the inside, everything can go wrong on the outside. I'm going to give you a principle here. You speak out of what you have inside of you. I can listen to your conversation for five minutes and I promise you, you speak out of what you have inside of you. You speak out of what you have inside of you. The worst storm in the world is not the storm out there. The worst storm in the world is the storm out there that gets down inside of you. That's the worst storm in the world, not the storm out there. It's the storm out there that you let get down inside of you. That's the worst storm. That's the worst storm. Because you cannot speak out of what you do not have inside of you. And if you let the storm inside of you, that's all that's going to speak out of you. Get this in your heart, okay? Just, just say... I'm going to speak out of my peace, okay? I'm going to speak out of my prayer life. I'm going to speak out of what God's Word says to me. I'm going to speak out of what I know God is able to do in my life. That's that's what you want to do. You want to speak out of those things. But if those things aren't in you, all you've got to speak out is the storm out there that you let down in here, and now that's all you can speak out of. Jesus spoke out of a peace on the inside that enabled him to sleep in a storm. Because he had a peace that passeth understanding. I like to call it, in my words, a crazy peace. I think this is an absolutely crazy peace. Who would do this? I've been on the sea. I've gotten seasick when we go out into the ocean, when those waves go out, I don't know, 10, 12 miles, something like that. I remember thinking get me back to land get me back to land i was so sick i was so seasick out on that i'll never go deep 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 sea fishing again in my life never i got way out there and you know what i want to do the first thing i want to do is i want to jump in the water what was that going to do i'd have drowned out there with those great whites and megalodon sharks i mean all of it out there i just like I, i haven't been deep sea fishing since been a long long time for me i'll go out maybe a mile or two you know where it's not too bad but boy you get me way out there i'm terrified But here he's snoring. He's acting like he doesn't even know what's going on. What if you had a piece like that? What if you had a piece like that that you don't even act like you know what's going on? It's crazy, isn't it? A piece that, like you didn't hear what they said. It's an insane piece. That's the other word I wrote down, insane piece. Did you hear what the doctor said? Yes, yes, I heard. I don't think you did. The MRI says you got cancer. Okay, well, I'm going to go back to sleep right now if it's okay with you. Who does that? Who does that? you got three months to live. That's insane peace. It's a, that's a crazy peace. And the Bible said it passes understanding. And it will keep your heart until the day of Jesus Christ. The word keep there in Philippians 4, 7 is to guard your heart. It actually comes from a Greek word which means a garrison, to set up soldiers around your heart. When you have a peace, a path, and understanding on the inside, you set up these spiritual soldiers around you that guard your heart. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about. Then and only then can you speak to it as long as you can speak from it but you can't speak to it when you become part of the thing you're speaking against. I should repeat all that, but I won't. Hysteria never saved anyone. Anxiety never helped anybody. Nervousness and insomnia never cured a thing. Never cured a thing. Yell at the dog, kick the cat, you can't fix your situation. And now your cat don't like you which ain't all that bad, which ain't all that bad. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say to you today is just let these truth anchors rise in your soul by faith. They're truth anchors. you got to have these in your life. Let it comfort you. Let it calm you down. Just take a deep breath. His peace, his peace is for you. And remember, he's the prince of peace. And he wants you to have that. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I, it's just a great reminder for us today again. You can only speak out of you what's on the inside of you. And if you'll just listen to your words, you'll know where your heart is. And maybe you're here today and you've never invited the Prince of Peace into your life to be your Lord and Savior. You've you got to start there. You've got to start there. He can't just be your teacher. He can't just be a good man. He can't just be a wise person. He has to be the Lord of your life, the Lord of your lips, the Lord of your thoughts, the Lord of your ears. Lord of your mouth. He wants to be Lord of all of it. Now, you you won't be perfect. But there's something about starting with Jesus where you say, Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. He's got to be your Savior because your greatest need is your sin. That's standing between you and God right now. And you have to make a declaration that my sin deserves judgment. you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me you paid the price for my sin right now Lord I want you to be my Lord and Savior not my teacher not my master I want you to be my Lord and Savior if you've never done that friend that's that's how you invite the Prince of Peace in and then he begins to do a work It's, it's a slow process it's not overnight but he begins to work in your heart And he takes control. And you give him control. And you say, Jesus, help me to be the person you want me to be. But there has to be that initial start. If you've never done that, you need to accept Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you're here and you're saved, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I'm just stirring your faith today. I just want to stir it up. You're anchored to his promise. You will get to the other side. Won't be smooth sailing, but you'll get a safe landing. You're anchored to His presence. and His presence is asleep. He's at total rest. You're anchored to His providence. He's got you in a perfecting storm right now. He's stripping away everything in your life you thought you needed. He's perfecting you. Providence. It's scary. It's dark. It's lonely. But He's perfecting you. And you're anchored to His peace. You speak out. You speak out of what you have inside of you. Father, I thank you for your word i thank you for its truth me speak to each heart here today wherever they are at whatever they're facing whatever they're dealing with lord i pray you'd use it in their life today i lift it up to you now and i ask it in jesus name amen amen let's stand to our feet scott's going to lead us in this song it's a beautiful song we can enter in if there's a need here in your life today Something you need to bring this all to. You bring it this morning as we sing.